millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. No. The issue of mental health in prisons is one that does not get much coverage in the media. This may well be because there's little sympathy in society for people who are in prison, which of itself is an issue that demands more attention, I think. But for those with mental health difficulties, prison can be, and I think there's no other way of putting it, a complete hell. They're being kept in a secure environment, which is designed almost exclusively for security and without any real function in dealing with mental health care. This, by the way, is in a system where estimates vary, but reliably, people suggest that up to half of all female prisoners and around a quarter of males at least are believed to have some form of a mental health condition. The prison service does what it can within resource constraints, and there are some outreach services that go into prisons, but in general, these prisoners are in the wrong place and should be in a healthcare setting. That's bad enough. But in many instances, it's also the case that the criminal act or acts for which these prisoners are incarcerated, and indeed some, and I think this would include the subject of our conversation today, are incarcerated not for actual criminal acts, but for breaking court orders. But in any event, the reasons for which they're in prison came about primarily, if not exclusively, because of mental health difficulties. In other words, I suppose such people should have received care for their health issues long before coming into contact with the criminal justice system. One such person who's currently in prison is Kay Barrett, a 42-year-old woman from Dunamore in County Cork. Kay's story was first reported by Noel Baker in the Irish Examiner and it's one that is an indictment on different aspects of governance in this area. And I think it absolutely requires a further airing on this podcast. Joining me to discuss the case is Kay's sister Claire and her aunt Carmel Nister. You're both very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I suppose if we could start at the start, Claire, would you tell us a bit about Kay's family background? I will, yeah. Um, so I guess Kay as a person, she's she's lovely. She's very warm-hearted and got a heart of gold, like she would give anything to you and we all kind of gravitate towards her. You know, she's a very warm person and jolly generally. And growing up, our mum was institutionalised. She was in Carrigmore, well, was then St. Anne's. So we grew up with our grandparents till the age of, like, I suppose my my nana passed away when we were six and seven. And yeah, I suppose, like, there was attachment issues there from the beginning, I guess, you know. Um, Kay kind of displayed insecurities more so I think in secondary school and like maybe a bit prone to depression in adolescent years and then in her 20s she had a breakdown in 2009 and that was that was pretty bad and that kind of started you know her psychiatric illness um she was diagnosed with bipolar in 2009 and I suppose, Claire, as you say, unfortunately, your mum was institutionalised and that was in relation to her own uh, mental health difficulties. And if Kate 
was displaying some of those symptoms early on, one would have thought if the system was functioning, particularly considering her family background, that she should have received some form of appropriate care at that stage. Ideally, yeah, like if the medical system was in a better state than it is now, like there is a genetic component to schizophrenia. And I think that's what um, mom was diagnosed with. But um, Kay was also diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder a few years later. But um, they're 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 quite alike um, in in some ways. So I suppose um, if, if it was caught earlier, probably like you know just Kay's emotional deregulation. Um, if she had strategies to manage her emotions, definitely would have helped rather than the situation she's in at the moment. Okay, and Carmel then Kay like a huge number of people went off to London working. And um, at what point did it become obvious that? Any difficulties she had, maybe some way serious? Um, that it was serious, it wasn't that clear because, uh, as Claire just said, even as a child, Kay was more vulnerable. I could see that because they often came over to France to me on holidays. Um, but she didn't seem to have any major problems. She was born prematurely, so she uh, had it a bit tough from, from the start. Uh, but uh, to, to come back to what you said, um, she was not only in London, she travelled the world with her boyfriend. She spent four years in Boston and uh, so she was nannying in London. And in fact, she was actually 31 when she had her first uh, breakdown and she was in Ireland on holidays in Ireland uh, when she had the first breakdown. And that was really a surprise to us. We knew that she was fragile, but we I didn't see it as a psychiatric problem. I saw it more uh, as maybe the, the effects of being born uh, prematurely, that she would get tired quickly, a certain fragility. But uh, uh, as you say, uh, neither Claire nor myself were not professionals. So the fact that her mother had been institutionalised, maybe a professional would have seen some warning signs that we didn't see. And when you say she had her first breakdown, was, was this an episode that lasted a period of time? Um, she was in hospital for a few weeks and then she went back to London, but she wasn't at ease when she got back because she was working as a nanny and she found it was too much responsibility because she was put on medication. And uh, so uh, she eventually stopped nannying because it was difficult. I think her reflexes were too slow and even she herself was aware that it wasn't the uh, she wasn't in good enough health to be looking after uh, children, which is a big responsibility. Of course, of course. And then she returned home. And Claire, how were things for her then and, and, and for the her siblings and family in terms of her condition then over the following years? I was abroad as well myself. So anytime I saw her, you know, things were good. Um, she was getting on well. You know, she she joined the National Learning Network and she was always trying to improve herself. She trained to be a counsellor. Like she is very intelligent and she always wants to better herself. Um, but I feel like she kind of knew that there was, you know, like she, she had a fear that these these episodes would happen again, you know, and she was trying to find strategies to cope. And she was working with an occupational therapist and she did some volunteer work in charity shops. And, you know, she was doing all the things. She was being very proactive and really trying to, you know, um, seek counsel where she could, you know, but they did come, I would say, probably, you know, maybe annually, like 
her mid-20s and then possibly like every six months and they would become closer together, you know, episodes um, where she would, I suppose, become deregulated or manic or I, I don't know how to describe it, yeah. but just panicked, I guess. Yeah. And what was her specific condition diagnosed or was there some confusion over the diagnosis, I suppose, which is the first point, I suppose, in getting the appropriate treatment? Yeah, so um, she was first diagnosed with bipolar in 2009. Then it changed to schizoaffective disorder a few years later, and she was on the medication for schizophrenia. And then um, I'm trying to get the year right, but I think it changed to a borderline personality disorder in October 2020. And then because it was it was seen as a personality disorder, it didn't come under the realm of a psychiatric health issue. Yeah, I kind of had doubts. I always felt like that she was like falling between the three somehow. I don't know. I didn't feel like it was just bad behavior or like a personality disorder, as we were told. And just to get this chronologically, uh, Carmel, what do you think in terms of that period? Was Kay getting the appropriate health care that she should have been? At this point, or were the family and the wider family, were you frustrated or were, were you confused? Or We were very were, confused were you happy? because both Claire and myself were abroad and uh, we were never contacted, even though both of us were willing to be uh, named as next of kin if anybody wanted to, to open the family circle and uh, uh, talk about Kay's problem. But we were never approached and it was very hard always to get information on what was happening. Um, so th that's why we're a bit vague on some things. But I think the wake up call really came when she was uh, uh, discharged from the health system because of this borderline personality after uh, years of treatment. That really surprised us. And of course, uh, then, uh, the 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 following year when she was imprisoned, the, we really said, well, this because as un, not pro, as non professionals, we tend to have faith, have tended to have faith in the system and uh, think that um, the the professionals know better than us. So if the diagnosis is changing a little, if the medication is changing, there seemed to be a lot of chopping and changing that we didn't really understand and. Uh, different names of nurses and doctors and so on. Uh, so it, that's why there there is confusion there. And that's why we asked if we could um, access Kay's records, even for ourselves, to have a clear picture of the whole uh, chronology of her, her descent, because it's a real descent when you end up in prison. So can I, can I be clear about this? From what you're saying, it strikes me that the crucial juncture was when her diagnosis was changed for perhaps the second or the third time to this borderline personality disorder. And on that diagnosis, she was discharged because the healthcare facility she was in felt it was not appropriate for that diagnosis. Am I, am I right in that? Uh, exactly. Um, uh, after her first nervous breakdown, she went back to England for a few years then with her boyfriend. They intended coming back to Ireland in any case. And so Kay came back earlier uh, and uh, her boyfriend was go going to stay working for a while to, to make more money and then come back. And uh, so uh, Kay had been treated in England. Then she was treated in Ireland originally. At the very start, she said, ah, the care is much better in Ireland. I have more regular follow up. And then... Uh, it was no longer the case. 
and uh, we just didn't understand why, uh, because there was always an insistence that she take her medication and so on, that it was very important, and generally she was good about it, but uh, when her, her diagnosis changed to borderline personality, she was taken off all medication, and that seemed very strange to us that uh, such emphasis had been put on the importance of medication to to uh, avoid mood swings and so on. And then she was left all on her own without even a, a doctor following her, in fact. Jeez, that sounds very, that sounds like a, a huge, um, a huge diversion from from what was happening. And OK, at that point, Claire, then did things become worse from Kay's point of view? Yeah, because I suppose um, because if like she was very kind of frustrated and she like the medic medical team were kind of saying she was being uncooperative and she like they said that she had a problem of bad behavior and relationships broke down. But again, it was a symptom of her illness, for want of a better word, whether it is whether it was a psychiatric illness or a personality disorder, relationships broke down. But I guess I like. The, it was a symptom of the illness, you know, and, and for her to be discharged from all services because she was said to have a problem of bad behaviour just seems very, very um, uncaring and not very sympathetic looking at a person that's suffering, like she's crying out for help. And the reason she became uncooperative was because she felt like she wasn't getting that help. So, yeah, it was it was really difficult. That I I don't think it was just bad behaviour. I feel like she was she still had psychiatric issues. Oh yeah, I mean I I I would have thought it wouldn't even take a professional to 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 come to that conclusion if somebody has psychiatric issues that it's that it's entirely linked to that. But one way or the other, um, so she's discharged, she's out, and some behavioural issues arise, as you say, which. I suppose, as a man in the street, put it that way, I would have thought, would have been linked to her psychiatric condition. But one way or the other, at some point, now, was it suggested to the family that you seek a, a safety order? How did that come about? Yeah, I remember at the time she had a DBT key person. and um, Sorry, when you say DBT, excuse me. Sorry, what's that clear now exactly? So it's dialectical behavioural therapy right. and there's there's a long wait list for it. But she did have a key person that she was working with at the time. This was in 2020. And we were like, when Kay's in panic and distraught, she called ambulances and Gardaí to our house in Dunamore. And um, the, the guards at a loss suggested that the only way to get mental health services to fulfil their obligation was by getting a safety order against Kay so that like on a subsequent guard to call out, she would be referred to a judge who would logically refer her to mental health care. And when I when I called her, her key her key worker, um, like they said that she needs consequences to her bad behavior. So they encouraged us to get this safety order that that Kay would have consequences and then would stop this bad behavior. So like it was, we were kind of left with no alternative because we. We were believing, like, I'm not an expert in mental health, but this person was, and they were saying bad behavior. So therefore, you know, we were we were so confused and so not knowing where to turn. So like that the sad case is that we, we, we did get the safety order just because we didn't know what else to do. The guards were in our house a lot. And yeah, so 
we had to take it out. And just in, in, in terms of that aspect, Carmel, even though I know you, you were in France, but you're, you're obviously in close contact, but the safety order, that was effectively that uh, an order is made by the court that she must desist from particular uh, behaviour and if not, she's brought before the court for consequences. Would that be correct? Well, that's how I understand it, yes. Right. So, so and Claire, the safety order, did you go into court to get it? Yeah, we were in front of five different court judges and in Clonacilty, Bandon, Bantry and McCroom, and they all were in agreement that it's clearly a medical matter, that Kay is not a criminal, that her anger outbursts are due to a lack of care. And any man in the street could see that. The Gardaí were saying it, we were all in agreement. So um, when we took out the safety order, we thought that like we were acting in our best interest, not thinking that it would result in Kay being in prison. I thought that the, the judge would kind of have more, like say, rather than the... I, I thought that that would lead to me- a medical intervention, but it, it didn't. You know, the psychiatrist is the medical expert. So what they say, and they were saying that Kay had a behavioural problem. So, you know, the scenario and you, you were before four or five different judges. And, and uh, am I correct? You're saying they all commented or at some point made it known that in their opinion, this was a medical issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I felt like it was kind of like not the norm, but like that, it, that they'd seen cases like this before they said it was sad but that there was no room in the central mental hospital so therefore for now she'd be in remand in prison and she went further down the criminal route you know because she had been in front of so many judges and I suppose their hands were tied they didn't know what else to do you know to know what's really happening subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And then what advanced from there was she broke the safety order, which I suppose is inevitable if somebody, like, I mean, Jesus, it would strike you that somebody in that situation, it's not a question of bad behaviour, stop doing that or there's going to be consequences. You would have thought it was obviously a scenario whereby this person, because of whatever she was suffering from, couldn't help doing that. But one way or the other, I suppose in that sense, it was inevitable she would break the safety order. Yeah, it was almost like she was kind of set up, not set up to fail, but like, yeah, it it felt like that, like she tried so hard to regulate herself, but all of these DBT skills were not working for her. So that's why I think it's more than a personality disorder because DBT can be quite successful for changing people's behaviours. But Kay was, was, she was suffering with something far more, um, oh, she was distraught, like, and she was trying her best to be calm and she just couldn't she really couldn't it's like she was manic you know like like bipolar but I'm not an expert but yeah no I was just going to say that one thing that uh, seems to happen regularly with Kay is that she gets very anxious at night and uh, the, the, that was mainly when the guards were called out yeah. and uh, she's been in prison three times so each time when she comes out uh, Claire and myself say oh 
what's going to happen at night when uh, she panics and is anxious and uh, has no alternative yeah. except to to call the guards uh, because uh, we don't she she can go out and shout in the street and the neighbours will rap. Nobody around is a professional. We don't know what to do in that case, how to, to deal with somebody who has night panic like that. You said three times. Could you just take me through that? As I understand it, initially there's a suspended sentence. Well, that's what we'd like to have some information about because for me, I'm outside that I never had any dealings with the justice system at all in Ireland and I've been out of the country for decades. And so if I, I, I have very little knowledge even about the French system, but there is no way somebody could be remanded in prison so long before a judgment and that the judgment days keeps moving and so on. So I, I can say nothing about the Irish system. I uh, All I heard was secondhand from Claire. Ah, oh, she's in jail again. Again, but uh, uh, there definitely seemed to be something wrong in all of this to me. Okay, uh, so Claire, how did it first come about? The first time Kay was in prison, how did that come about? Um, like for, for minor offences, just from lack of not knowing what to do with her when she became deregulated. Like in Dunmore, she would be quite vocal and she was singing IRA songs and she was just, oh, like she was, she was manic and she would be effing and blinding and there was neighbours and children around and we were just, what do we do? And then another incident was in the Mercy Hospital where she was shouting and roaring. She never became physical or anything like that. She was just shouting and roaring, looking for for help. And she, she was calling the guards excessively. Like, I think 200 calls were made over a period of time and they just didn't know what to do. We all didn't know what to do. So what happens in the court? She's brought up and, and this is put before the judge that there was a safety order and she quite obviously broke it. And what yeah, was this? And yeah. Like the judge would say, well, you were told not to call the guards again. You were told to be calm. You were told to keep the peace and done more and not to be shouting and roaring and to to be to be nice to your dad and your sister. Like, but but like Kay, you know, it's it's not it's not fit for purpose. She was suffering with something that she couldn't control. You know, it wasn't a case of behavior that she could handle or that she was in control of. She was it was outside of her control, I feel, you know. So it wasn't fit for purpose, you know, she was in the wrong system. It certainly seems so. And then um Clannacilty last February, was that the last time she was imprisoned? No, sorry, June. June 1st, she was supposed to be released on June 1st. And, and we got an awful shock hearing that she was imprisoned again till December of this year. Because there's been so many, to be quite to be quite honest, there's been so many kind of minor incidences, like minor, but like there are suspended sentences for breaking the peace or for breaking a safety order that was first put in place trying to get her help. You know, it's it to me it feels like they're kind of not made up, but like they're not real real criminal act. It's a person calling for help. That's what it is. Well, certainly seems so. And and I suppose, to be fair to the various judges that are in the district court, their hands are tied as far as I can see from that point of view. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I mean, there's one judge in particular, Judge McNulty, and he's seen Kay quite a lot. And I could see he, like, he's been very nice to Kay and he's he was really compassionate. And But he, he doesn't know what to do either. You know, he's like, I'd like I hate having I'd hate having to be that judge making that decision to like what do you do with a sick person like you can't you have to send them to jail because there's nowhere else for them to go and you don't want to be wasting the guardies time either so something is not working in the system you know something needs to change. So the ultimate outcome is the case currently in Limerick Prison. Yeah, 
Yeah. And she like she has her good days, but like she's very claustrophobic and she's in a cell on her own. Like and she she loves being around people. And, you know, like she doesn't have her family around her or like for anybody that would be hard. But for a person that's sick, it's 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 harder. Like she's really, really struggling. You know, it's not it's not a good place for her to to recover in any case, it's going to make her worse. You know, she's going to be more out of tune with the real world, you know. And it sounds like I, I've come across this case. I, I haven't come across speaking directly to someone like, well, I come across a, a, a father who was bereaved, whose son took his own life inside in prison who had mental health difficulties and he'd been in there for a very short time and it was directly related to it. But when you see the detail of this kind of thing, the thing is absolutely insane. I, I, yeah, have there been any efforts to, for, to get her into the Central Mental Hospital? Well, they say the waiting list for the Central Mental Hospital is you might as well not even go there because you'd be waiting years. But you know what frustrates me, Mike? It's like, like ma'am. Ma'am was in, in a hospital and that was at night. Like we know the culture of institution institutionalisation in Ireland was wrong. And But since closing those large psychiatric hospitals, like they haven't replaced it with anything. It's like, prisons have replaced what was there the pendulum swung from man's day in the ninth in the in the 70s this victorian style which nobody liked and it wasn't nice and we all agreed that wasn't the right way but to replace with nothing you know like to have there's always going to be vulnerably mentally ill people in any society and it just feels like they it's kind of a forgotten about part and neglected because they're the people that don't have voices to speak up because they're mentally ill you know, Absolutely. and, they're, they're and, and is is Kay getting any treatment inside in prison? Um, it it it's not substantial. I mean, like there's one there's one psychiatrist for, like he's a massive caseload. So she barely she barely sees him. But interestingly enough, and this is sad, but like since all the media attention, the H the HSE have put in place a meeting, and you just wonder, is it because of the media attention? Like why? You know, is that why Kay is getting this meeting? And what about all the other people that don't have a voice to speak up? You know, like something's wrong with her with her system. It is absolutely crazy, Claire. And I can tell you from my experience of of, from a a media point of view working in it. Unfortunately, I think you're right. I've come across this time and again that when any sort of a media spotlight is shone in it, suddenly things get done which is outrageous because the first question is why aren't things being done anyway? Why does it have to be the media putting a spotlight on it? And the other point, as you made very well there, that's all very well. They do that then for one person. What about everybody else simply because their story hasn't been told? Yeah, and like mental illness causes terrible suffering. But with a system adding to it rather than alleviating the suffering, like like you'd lose faith in the social services. You'd be like, is this Ireland in 2022? Like, how can we, I don't know, it's just, it, it just, it would make you lose faith in, in, in social services. You know, it's sad, really. Well, what I don't understand is, uh, originally I wrote to the Mental Health Commission, uh, but of course I got an answer saying, ah, oh, the, the, the case situation isn't in our brief because it's only for people who are hospitalised. But I saw that uh, the Mental Health Commissioner, Dr. Finnerty herself, recently said that, I think maybe it was in your article, where uh, she was quoted as uh, uh, saying that uh, uh, it's not right because a lot of people who commit minor offences, as you said, that, uh, uh, that they're people, in fact, who are breaking uh, court orders end up 
in prison. So uh, I don't get it because it's as if everybody's passing the book. Everybody admits that the system uh, uh, is foul, but uh, where does the responsibility lie? How can we uh, get those who are responsible for uh, budgeting a proper health system, etc.? Where is the decision to come from that uh, you can't save money? Mental health, I think, is an expensive area because the, very often uh, the illness is a long-term illness. And it's as if there's a denial of that, that you can get along by having quick fixes, uh, seeing a, a psychiatrist or having some therapy. But you need a place for people to turn to. Well, if people come out of hospital, anybody who comes out of hospital, each time Kay came out of hospital, there was no help in place. No immediate help. She'll come out after how many months in hospital and there'll be no professional there uh, unless things change for Kay. Uh, as uh, Claire says, seems to uh, be, say that it, it might happen. But there should be a, a blanket approach for everybody who comes out of prison to have uh, with psychiatric problems to have some help to readapt in the first place. Absolutely, absolutely. And just to give listeners a quick snapshot, just to point out that horrendous and all as Kay's story is, I mean, it's a scandal, but just to point out that it's not uh, uh, unusual in the system. I just have something here, and this is the chaplain's report. The chaplains in all the prison, a great thing about their reports is they have no vested interest and they're not attached to the service. They're entirely there as advocates for the prisoners and uh, and the prisoners' conditions. But just this is, is, is the 2020, the last available one, uh, chaplain's report for the Docus Centre, the women's uh, prison in Mountjoy. And according to that report, this prisoner came in, we'll give her a pseudonym, Anya. Anya came in in 2020. She'd previously spent a year in a psychiatric facility. And this is the report now. The prisoner was clearly unwell and confused to the extent that after a few days in custody, the prisoner wanted to know what hospital she was in. Uh, from soon after she arrived, she was in bed all day. Prison was obviously not the place for the prisoner, according to the report, yet the prisoner had been charged, arraigned in court and remanded to prison. And then arrangements were put in place to have her transferred back to the psychiatric facility. While that was going on, two other prisoners on the same landing were self-harming and violent. And the chaplain reports, both of the prisoners had been treated for mental illness before coming to prison. One of the prisoners had been brought to the DOCA centre infected with COVID-19. The other prisoner was returned to the psychiatric facility where she had been a patient. And the report goes on. That prisoner, however, was returned to the DOCUS after she behaved in the same violent way she had behaved in when she was being held in the DOCUS previously. And this gets to the heart of it. Obviously, she had been referred to the psychiatric facility for specialist treatment. How was she expected to receive that treatment when she was returned to the DOCUS? This is a clear example of the DOCUS being used as a dumping ground. And Claire, that snapshot and that phrase being used as a dumping ground, it is, it, it's, a, it's an awful image. But unfortunately, it would seem in, in, in certain instances in terms that is precisely what's happening with people who have mental health difficulties for whom the system is not dealing with properly. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's, it's very sad. Like I know the, the, U, the UN Commission on Human Rights have highlighted our failing system. Like we're the third highest, I think, in Europe. I could be wrong, but like for imprisoning mentally ill patients, you know, 
like just seeing mom every week growing up I thought that her life in, in hospital was sad and horrible and you know like but at least she had freedom she could go to the park if she wanted or we could visit her now Kay's in prison like how have we become that cruel and uncaring our, our uncaring and shielded system like it, it's just it, it's it, it beggars belief that it's happening today it really does that's what really shocks us that if we want to phone Kay or if Kay just doesn't feel well at a certain moment, she can't from prison. She has one call per day and uh, she stopped calling me because uh, it came up as an unknown number and it didn't always work. And so if she misses uh, me, her call is gone and uh, we want to know how she is. It's impossible to call her in the evening when she needs most reassuring. Uh, I mean, this isn't uh, care. This isn't caring for people. It's making things worse. I mean, it's clear that it's making uh, things worse. It's outrageous. I mean, it re- that alone, that whole thing of contacting your family, that as you say, as you say, Carmel, she gets a, a notion as anybody would in that situation, particularly yeah. in a cell on yeah. her own and, and, and everything else that comes with it and wants a phone call to her family yeah. and that of itself is restricted by the nature of prison we can call her and it's only like six minutes and it's it's so rushed you're trying to fit everything in and it's just sad like and mostly she's crying and upset she wants to come out and she's you know she's in despair you know it's not it's not good she has her good moments too like I visited her last Saturday and you know the other prisoners really like her and they were they did her hair and makeup and everything and like but but that's not right you know it's like mostly every day it's, it's a struggle for her it really is you know and Claire, as things stand, she's now due to stay in prison until November. Well, I, I keep hearing different dates. I've heard December from her solicitor, that mid-December or sometime. So it could change. And I think the media attention is helping things. I, I'm just hearing secondhand information through Kay. But um, I hope that it's earlier, you know, because every day that she's in there, you know, it's going to be harder for her to rehabilitate back into real life, you know. And that's the other thing, Carmel. I mean, you know, somebody spends time, for example, in a psychiatric facility, you would have to hope, and, and, and often there is results, that somebody comes out and, and, and they're able to adjust, they're able to regulate, as you say, or deal with their condition. But i just trying to envisage whether there's any chance of that after coming out of prison and what's going to be the situation if nothing has changed. Well, that's what what we we've uh, had in our minds each time she's been in prison. We don't expect her to come out better than the way she was when she went in, uh, and that's what's uh, dramatic about the whole thing. And uh, yes, one point I wanted to make was that uh, you said uh, that you you ha- you gave examples of other people. The prison guards thanked Claire for putting a a, a spotlight on the fact that they're working with prisoners. Who are who have uh, psychiatric problems, not criminal problems, and they're not trained for that. And so we were hoping that with the the petition we put online uh, on change.org, which has had a good response, that we there'd be ag- other examples of families in the same, similar situation. And so far there hasn't been, and we're a bit surprised. And I think it's because the system is just so difficult to face. 
It's so hard to get information. I mean, we don't have the exact information about the date uh, of uh, case release. Each court case, the dates, it was very fuzzy. They kept moving even on one case, uh, one occasion or twice. She was brought to the court uh, and uh, in a paddy wagon from Limerick or from Dublin or wherever to a County Cork court and the the court with the meeting was uh, was postponed so it's there's a lack of respect for people yeah I mean, none of us would would put up with that behavior yeah <laughs> absolutely is. yeah uh, de- definitely and you, you mentioned it and I know myself because I've, I've um I know a lot of prison officers and, and done a bit of work in the area but I, I I've been told that by senior officers the number of times particularly in the big prison that they ring the central mental hospital pleading for somebody to be allowed there. And it's no fault whatsoever of the people in the central mental hospital. No. They're doing absolutely everything they can, but they simply do not have the beds mm. for a functioning system in terms of a secure mental hospital unit in the country. They just do not have the beds. Mm. And and it's it's a crazy situation. Claire, would you give us details again of that petition, please? Yeah, so it's um care, not jail. And it's it's in change.org. Change.org is the website. It's um I'm sharing it on my social media account, but um yeah, so change.org and the petition is called Care Not Jail. Change.org is the site and it's care not jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Look, uh, Claire and Carmel, thank you both very much for talking to us today. All we can do is hope that in case situation, something can come out of this. But I mean, there's two aspects to that. First of all, the idea that it has to be the media putting a spotlight before something is done is a, a horrendous reflection on the system. And the second thing is that if if we're if things are fortunate enough that something positive can be done for Kay, as as you said, Claire earlier, that immediately opens up the question: What about everybody else who's in the same situation? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, thank you both very much, and hopefully, um, this is going to shine some kind of a light, and hopefully, people will respond to the petition because it is important that these things are highlighted. It's vital, in fact, if we're going to have any hope of change in this area at all. Claire and Carmel, thank you both very much for joining thank us. You, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'd also, as always, like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon, and thank you folks for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.